Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to Smirchpod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. And we're back with another side special. And these will sometimes appear on the odd occasion that we'll need to talk about something mildly related to Bond. This week we'll be delving deeply into the troubling adventures of a confused, painted, elderly man. Yes, it's never say never again. And joining me in studio, delving deeply into what WTF is going on, is journalist, writer and broadcaster Samira Ahmed. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to have you here. I didn't know it was a side special. Surely it is Bond. Well, it's not canon. Well, they own the uh, DVD release rights now, don't they? They do now, but technically it's not canon. It's got 007 written all over the Yeah, but there's no music. Well, there is, but we shouldn't talk about that. Well, no, but there's no Bond theme, I mean. No. And, um, well, yeah, that's why it's so bad. Why did you make me watch it? (laughs) Because you asked to do Octopussy. Yes. But it was already taken. And I, I don't have the stomach to go back to somebody and say, I'm sorry, you can't no, have Octopussy I asked for others too, but anyway. You but I thought Never Say Never Again was good, because you wanted to talk about Octopussy. Yes. And I thought, if we do Never Say Never Again, they went head-to-head, summer 1983. Octopussy obviously won the day. But then I thought, then we could touch upon Octopussy. So, Never Say Never Again, what are your thoughts of it? I have the word skanky bond. Skanky bond. It's, it's a bit dirty, a bit rough. Weirdly, and I had never watched it all the way through until... Yeah last week i'd always kind of caught it halfway through on channel five there's lots of brilliant things in there Mm. and yet the analogy i would make is that when i was a kid my elder brother was obsessed with world war ii films and he wanted to make his own version of the guns of navarone so he got his mates they got some fake blood capsules they got some toy guns and they got some great coats and they went to the park with their cine camera but it's not the guns of navarone no and you know this has got lots of elements (laughs) Including, I would argue, in Klaus Maria Branda. Oh, that's wonderful pronunciation, you, yeah. Who I have met. Oh. Um, arguably the best Bond villain. He's very good. He's very good. And Fatima Blush, arguably the best Bond villainess. Yeah, she's mad. She she's has issues. Mad. My daughter, I have teenagers, they will enter this conversation occasionally. She walked in when I was watching it uh-huh. and she said to me, you can tell she's evil as she doesn't want to have sex with James Bond yet. Yet. 
Because this was quite early on in the film. Yeah. And it's true, isn't it? In this yeah. film, as if we need to be constantly reminded that, no, it's Sean Connery, he's really Bond, and all women find him irresistible. Every single woman in the film looks at him and behaves as if he's sexually irresistible. This film also posits the fact that Bond has magic discharges because his urine kills a man. Oh, yes, I have death by urine, although yeah. it's not. Is it not? No, because then it turns out... He looks at his own urine bottle. Oh, yeah, the guy, And then yeah. the guy falls over and he's got a bunch of syringes and glass bottles right. stunted in his back, which is actually a great death. Yeah. In fact, the fight... I mean, that's the other thing. There's some really good action fights mm-hmm. without music, admittedly, but it's about the only part of the film where they actually pace it well. Yeah. But, you know, this is the man who made The, the Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back. That's, and Robocop 2. Which I don't think was supposed to be so good. But no, The Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars film. Yeah. And the two things that are the same in both is they have these fights, big fights that go downstairs. Yeah. So if you think about Luke versus Darth Vader on the Cloud City, they keep going down levels. Yeah. And downstairs, and he keeps getting knocked down. And actually, the fight sequence in the health club is essentially the same. It is. Lots of... Good use of stairs. Well, this film, actually, I read last night, was choreographed by Steven Seagal. Who broke Sean Connery's wrist and he didn't know for years. That's right. So that explains a lot. Steven Seagal. Uh, anything he touches turns to brass. But what, what bothers me most about this film is that it opens with, obviously, you don't get the gun barrel, going back to it not being official. Because this film mm-hmm. feels like the ITV have won the rights to do James Bond. Because it's ITV, they can't quite do it properly. And it just looks glossy and not quite right. Um, so it starts off with the letters 007 shooting ominously at the screen. And then you get this horrible song. Very inappropriate music. It is. That's what I say. I just put here the music is so incongruous during a fight scene that it might as well be the birdie song. Yes. And I, I, wrote, I wrote a list of the violent actions that take place in the opening title sequence, which includes garrotting, yeah. blowpipe, uh-huh. stun grenade, yeah. machine gunning, yeah. stabs. Yeah. All to a light inappropriate jazzy soundtrack yeah it's very inappropriate and it's not even a good song no you know i'd almost be willing to let that by if it wasn't that so many other things you think they've worked out what you need like you need a song and you need a big henchman-y sort of chamber at the end yeah and so you build all these things but they're not they didn't spend quite enough money on any of them no and yet they spent loads did it cost 46 million it did yeah but and it did, did make quite a lot of money at the box office just didn't make as much money as octopussy which, re-watching Octopus, you realise for all its faults, because it's, it's not a great film, it looks and sounds amazing. Yeah. Even the extras are good. Mm. So the thing you notice, all the little things that you don't think about in a general Bond film, you notice it because they're done so badly. Yeah. So you know when you have those, like in Thunderball, if we make the comparison back to the film this is based on, Yes. when the blackmail threat comes in and Bond is called and he arrives late at that big meeting mm. and it's a giant chamber, it's like a, a Ken Adam kind of giant hall. Absolutely. With all the agents and who's around. Yeah. In this, they've obviously hired like country house hotel with some desks and there's some bottles of water, you know, yeah. with a kind of napkin on the top. And there are some men and women sort of all dressed up like bureaucrats pretending to shout at each other in a confused way. And they're supposed to be NATO. Yeah. And you notice how bad that is because it's not been done well. That's what I've, I've written here without Ken Adam. It's crossroads. That's what yes. it feels like. It just feels like they've, like you say, they've got, they've got a hotel room or something. They've flung some chairs in and they thought, well, Max von Sydow is going to come in. That's fine. He'll, he'll give it the gravitas. But if he's coming in to talk at a conference about like car stereos or something, it's not really exciting. The same scene, as you say, in Thunderball is chilling because you don't see Blofeld's face. And they're all sat around this giant Ken Adam table in this huge Ken Adam room. He even talks Max von Sydow about, we are Spectre, blah, blah, blah. But when that bit's delivered in Thunderball, it's got so much more threat to it. And this is Max von Sydow who just made 
uh, Flash Gordon. Yeah, funnily enough. And does Sinister. Yeah. And yet, did you notice that all of Spectre, they all sit in rows. They're not round a table. No. So there's a different kind of hierarchy here. Yeah. It felt like whoever gets there first gets that chair, really. But it's than... more diverse. Oh, I felt yeah. their equal opportunities policies have come a long way. Yeah, at least they sorted that out. They just need yeah. to work on everything else. You know, like blowing people up and stealing warheads. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't... Max von Sydow, who is a very good baddie, he's pretty much made a living out of it, apart from The Exorcist and things like that. But he's not very menacing in this at all. No. Do you think they, they booked him, like, we can get him cheap if we yeah. do it in a day? Because he's only in about, is it three scenes? If that, yeah. And they obviously shot them all in one go and then intercut them with other stuff. Yeah. So, yes, they didn't have enough time to make anything of him. No, because as you say, the real baddie, who's called... Well, he's called Largo in the film, but yes. Klaus Maria Branda. There you go. So he, he effectively carries the weight of the baddie in this film. He's so good. He's much better he's than... So scary. Yeah, he is. He's proper, like, psychotic. As yeah. Bond says, he should be certified. He's got one of the best lines, which is, you know, when they're having some exchange about Domino, and he says, do you imagine I could lose a woman to an underpaid British agent? Yeah. Which is actually quite a good, sinister line. And he says, um, and she says, what, what would you do if I le- left you? And he kind of laughs, and he says, I'll cut your throat. Yeah. Yeah, that's proper villain. Yeah. He's literally holding her against his will and spying on her. Well, the whole... Um, I don't want to get sucked into a really bad taste conversation because I'm no good at them, but... Oh, God. The whole way that he looks at her through a two-way mirror, yeah. this feels like, with a few adjustments, it might have been actually a rather good porn film. Well, I've written that down here. There's lots of scenes. That, pretty much every scene in this film feels like it's building up to a sex scene, like a hardcore sex mm. scene. Music included. Everything. And that moment particularly you're referring to, the camera is behind Klaus... I can't pronounce his name as well as you. Maria Brandauer. There you go. The camera's behind him, and, and, and you can... St- I'm sorry to go here, but he is jiggling from behind, and it looks like he is masturbating. I didn't notice that. You watch it again, not that you ever want to watch this again, because you've seen it twice already from what I hear. But the bit where his room kind of rotates and you see Domino doing her aerobics to that awful music, the camera lingers behind Largo, and it looks like he is supposed to be doing that. But when you see him from the front, he is not. And I don't know, but it looks like that, and it doesn't look good. What is good about him, you see, is... He is actually really sad, as well as being sinister. And that's why I think it's a shame he's not in a better... Yeah, he deserves to be in a Because somehow he's realistic. Even you know, when he walks onto a ship and he goes, Morning, Charles, mm. any faxes? Yeah. And he thought, what kind of faxes <laughs> would Largo be getting? Blueprints? Maybe mm. some more leg warmers for mm. Domino. Uh, uh, another disc for Domination, so he can play that later at home. Practice yes. on that awesome game. It's a shame no one's made it. It didn't make any sense, though. No. It didn't make any sense. And also, well, we'll get to that later, okay, but yes, I yes. wanted to talk about Sean Connery's look in this because oh, yes. um, he is, I think at this point he's 52, but he looks about 72. <laughs> and they've, they've given him like a tan, but it looks like he's going to do a version of the Mikado. Because he's got this weird makeup on an eyeliner, and they've given him a wig that doesn't really work as a wig. It looks like it's doing a lot of doing no work. It looks it's like funny. a biro line. Do you think they went for the look when they tried to make him look Japanese and you only look Yes, twice? it's that wig. Isn't yes, it? it is exactly. That's how he looks. Instead of doing that for a one scene where he's pretending to marry a lady, he's doing it for the entire film. And there are many bits in this where he's underwater. And I was expecting him when he's sort of swimming underwater to have like a trail of brown paint following him as he goes, while the fake tan comes off. The weird thing is he actually looks better without his clothes on. Like, when you see him in his swimway, he's actually, you know, he's got that barrel-chesty, but a kind yeah. of toned look of a certain generation who did national service. Yeah. Whereas when he's, like, in the gym and he's wearing kind of loose sweats... Yeah. It's a not good look. It's not. It's a sort of attempt to do a bit of the 80s aerobic look. It doesn't work for him. Because there's a scene when um, Fatima says to... No, he says to Fatima that her boat is marvellously well-equipped. Just at that moment, he takes his shirt off. 
And she says, so are you. I thought, you sure about that? Like, it's a bit early to know, isn't yeah, it? he's a 52-year-old man. He looks every year of 52, looks older, and he's not in the greatest shape of his life. I mean, to be fair, he's 52. He's in good shape for 52. But Roger Moore at this point is, I think he's about 55, 56, something like that, and he looks much better at this point than Sean Connery does. The thing is, Sean Connery has real confidence, and reading about the film, he put a lot of work into casting it and making it happen, and I think his enthusiasm yeah. actually goes a long way because he hmm. doesn't care. He doesn't even care when he's wearing dungarees. Oh, God, the I dungarees. I the no, dungarees. No. So are we jumping ahead? It doesn't matter. We need to talk about the dungarees because they're horrible. They're really And horrible. again, that's where I feel this could have been a different kind of film where he's sort of some kind of Huckleberry Finn <laughs> look. He's the fish who's been caught. He literally was caught, Val- wasn't he? Was it Valerie Leon? Was that Valerie Leon, was yes. it? Yes. Oh, blimey. And that's the other thing is they've cast some of these older women who, I mean, I don't know if she was maybe in her late 30s then about that yeah she looks she looks amazing and yet she also looks really a lot older when you think how good women in their 40s and 50s look now yeah you know kind of hollywood actresses it was almost like they thought let's throw in people from the 70s so you put in that she's the high karate girl isn't she yes and she's she just looks like an old bond girl i don't mean that in, a, in an insult it's just that you know it's not no, what you expect i know what you mean it's kind of sweet at the same token they should have perhaps given domino that to a role of a lady like that mm. because it makes sean look older when he's next to kim bassinger and the scene where he sexually assaults her and then she smiles afterwards is skin crawlingly awful oh well you see the thing is he didn't actually give her a hard massage no i know but he actually then felt her bum didn't he <laughs> And, and she was like, oh, that's really nice. And then he just walked off. And then she just look at the camera and smile like, oh, that's so amusing. As she, as she realised that she'd been sexually assaulted, the camera <laughs> sort of closed in on her face. And I said to my wife, please don't let her smile. Uh, and she did. Yeah. Said, that's... But that's the one thing about this film where you can see they've tried too hard. Yeah. Earlier when, actually, it's in set into a Bond girl's life. Isn't it? No, no, sorry, a, a villain girl's life. What do you do when your boat's in port you go straight to the beauty parlor and book yourself a massage it seems a bit trivial and when bond comes in all the women in that spa they're all sitting around posing for the male gaze if I may use yes that. yes and there were no men in there apart from him well he wanders in and it's like it's like and they've all been locked at him. yeah it's like they've been locked up for 30 years and they've never seen a man and he's literally got an m on him that says man he does have an m on him yeah i was wondering if it meant massage or like mass sex offender because it wasn't clear what the M stood for. I was just really disappointed. I thought he would actually be able to give a really good massage at the I think he was. Time. He was also do, doing small talk as well. But I thought he'd be, you know, I thought there'd be proper massage. Well, he didn't do too badly. She seemed to like it. She gave a smile just after he felt up her bum. I bet he was almost doing the, you know, are you going anywhere nice for your holidays this year? That sort of thing. Oh, and he was like, oh, Largo, yeah, I know him. Well, I don't know him. I know of him. Would don't know like him. To... And then she invites him, doesn't she? Yeah, she said, do you want to come around to mine? Yeah, all right. I'm just a weird massage bloke. Yeah, sure, I'll be don't there. Don't you wonder about her dance instructor? Yeah, you don't see him again. You don't do you? see him again. And I wondered if they had a whole subplot where he was going to be hideously murdered. I bet he was. Because we saw what happened when Largo saw Bond kiss her. And he went in with an axe, didn't yes. he? Yes. Smashed up the mirror that wasn't the mirror Bond was in, which I thought was a bit weird. And then smashed up the stereo, which was right because the music was bloody awful. I'd have done that first. <laughs> Before I moved on to anything else. This is the year of the CD, isn't it? Yeah, 83, just coming out. So he's technologically behind. No wonder he was so annoyed. Probably got a fax about a CD player. Bloody records. Oh, you know what we haven't talked about? What? We need to talk more about Fatima. Yes. Because, again, one of the things that takes it into the slightly disturbing territory but it's actually very interesting is her whole evil nurse and yes. when and one of the things that Bax Mazzaida says is we have got him a cruel mistress you know Jack the um, Air Force officer that they're using yes. to get access to the bombs and when you think about Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill the Daryl Harrell Daryl Harrell? 
that Daryl Hannah. Hannah Nurse. Yes. Isn't that straight from Barbara Carrera's Sinister Nurse? Feels like it. Because Mercy with her injection. She's very unusual because when Jack protests about wanting to go through with it, she beats him up. Really badly. Really badly. I mean, it's the point where it was like they were doing an Amdram version of Bottom. She was literally like smashing his face into the wall. I was expecting her to put his head in the fridge. It was, as I say, there's a much, much darker, nastier film. Yeah. She somehow got cut back. There's just so many sort of tin-eared aspects to this film as well. Like there's moments of real tension. For instance, there's a bit where Bond later on walks into a casino and there's no music. There's nothing. He just literally walks in, walks up to the table and they carry on with the scene. Now, if that was a real Bond film, you'd have some sort of sweeping yeah. score going on to to transport you yeah and also show you about how the rich people that go to casinos this is how their life is better than yours that kind of thing but he literally walks in like he was going into B&Q to buy a paintbrush just like there's nothing there and that's exactly why it fails because you realise how much the dressing of the music yeah. and the atmosphere actually buys you off from questioning the plot because that was filmed in the casino at Monte yeah. Carlo I mean it was the first time they'd filmed in it really? and it's also that point when you suddenly realise god casinos are really naff and they're full of really naff Euro trash aren't they yeah and especially they have that games room don't they <laughs> with, with machines oh and they god. have chill out tables where you can sit and have cocktails while watching people at play yeah and I thought do you think I don't know how all the producers were do you think they thought this is what the young people are into I think so that's it so we need to modernise our idea of a casino we'll, we'll get because Atari are obviously on board because the arcade machines they made by Atari. Oh, did they? Yeah, I went through a list of the sponsors. If Fendi did all Barbara Carrera's furs and leathers, there's a lot of dead little creatures in this film. She's got plastic trousers on at one point, isn't she? Or are they leather? When she dies, she's wearing these yeah. shiny black trousers that look like they're plastic. They're kind of jodhpur things. Yeah. They? But yes, but Atari are one of the... And JVC. Obviously. There's a lot of electronic companies that... But he did sponsors. blow up a stereo. I hope JVC weren't too offended that he axed their stereo. <laughs> Where are we in the film now? Oh, well, we're jumping around all over the place. Yeah. Maybe we should go back to after the training exercise. Bond meets M, who's played by Edward Fox. And I don't know what Edward Fox is doing in this film. He's hysterical. He's mental. He's doing this kind of, what are you doing? I don't understand. Surely you'd tell him to rein that in, wouldn't you? You wonder what he'd been briefed to perform. Because the whole thing's played at a pitch. It's almost like, you know that 60s Casino Royale? Yes. Where it's like they want to scupper Bond, and he's, he's nuts. I, I he's unwatchable in this film. Every time he's on, you're just like, what are you doing? Because he's, again, it's like Max von Sydow. You've got two really good actors, but yeah. somehow they seem to think what's required is to be mad. This film, wasn't it um, script-doctored or ghost-written by Clement and Lafrenet? Yes. So there's lots of jokes all floating around in weird bits, like when he's talking about free radicals. Oh, yes, and parsley tea. Yeah. Although I thought the interesting comparison for me is, do you ever see a film they wrote called Otley, which was a 60s spice booth with no. Tom Courtney, no. Leonard Rossiter, all shot around sort of Portobello Road in West London. And there's a whole sequence where he and Romy Schneider are running through a country health club. Oh, OK. And I, I thought, it just suddenly occurred to me that... Well, they've definitely pinched a joke from... That might be where all the jokes that they didn't get into that script and they got into this one. Yeah, and they pinched a joke from Porridge as well. Which was? When she says, would you be able to fill this flask? And he says, from here... That's a porridge joke. Yeah, which is Clement and Lafrenet. So they obviously, they obviously got to the point where they were like, we can't put anything else into this script, we'll have to just start borrowing from good scripts that we've written. What about the suitcase he opens where he says, oh, look what I've... And he's smuggled in. It's very sad. Yeah, it is sad, um, isn't it? Quail's eggs. Quail's eggs, foie gras and vodka. Yeah. No clean eating. No. He's gone to a health farm to get better, but he's not prepared to... How can you trust him on a mission? Well, in a way, it's the reverse. You know how Roger Moore said that he was actually quite fat when he got cast as Bond? Yes. And he was put on a really serious diet and he hated it and they gave him amphetamines and everything. Yeah. This is like Sean Connery 
as Bond being put through that and yeah. rebelling. Because Roger Moore said they drank real champagne on the set of The Persuaders. You know, if it said champagne in the script, you had real champagne. Awesome. You can tell they didn't do that here, did they? No, definitely not. No. It definitely been produced. That vodka. Oh, reminds me, there's no lid on his sample no. in that lab. You no. just think, what kind of hygiene arrangements do they have here? Probably analysing, go, I don't know, about, I'm a bit worried about Bond. Why? He's, got, he's been drinking dead flies and spiders. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, Bond's in the health farm, and he sees this fellow being beaten up. And then he gets attacked because he's such an idiot, which again happens in Thunderball, but not this stupid, where he's at the window and he kind of reaches in for some reason and makes the blind shoot up so they get a good look of him standing there. Oh, yeah. And then she uses, like, uh, night vision goggles and sees him standing outside. And again, the night vision doesn't do any favours for him. He looks really old. He looks like an old man who's stalking a nurse's home so he can have a look through the window all the nurses getting dressed. At least there's not... There's not jokes like that in this. No, they wouldn't dare. Mm. I've noticed, you know, when, um, when something bad's going to happen, Barbara Carrera starts talking about someone in the third person. Yes. Jack's been smoking again. Oh, yeah. That's quite scary. Yeah, and she says about how Jack wouldn't have his fast cars and his money. Who's that actor who plays Jack? He's quite good. He's Gavin O'Harrelly. He was in Superman 3. As? Uh, he was, uh, when Clark goes back to Smallville and there's that bully... <gasps> It's him. That's him. And he's also in Death Wish 3 as the baddie, which makes me think that he must have been one of those American actors that lived in, lived London, in London during the 80s because he's, he's in Willow as well. Lots of films that were shot he here. He looks good. He is. He is Dan O'Harrelly's son, who is in Robocop as the old man. Okay. That's good knowledge. Yeah. Speaking of his character, mm. so you know the whole US flight command, which mm. they're going to steal the bombs from? Yeah. Do you notice it looks just like World War II? Right? You think yeah. 40 years has passed, yeah. but there are no women in there. They still seem to be pushing things around with sticks. And did you notice that John Kerry seems to be in command yes. of that whole unit? But they still drive really naff Ford Cortinas around. The, the Ford Cortina looks very naff. That's the it? thing. It's all let down by the, the little details. details of set dressing. Things that it? wouldn't have happened in an official Bond film. He'd have been coming out in a Jeep or something yeah. cool. And then she, she really gilds the lily here because she comes up to Jack after Jack has... Because what, what's happened is, if people haven't seen the film, but you've seen Thunderbolts, so you know what happens, but they've put a little twist in, that Jack is given an eye that's the president's eye. How did they get... I mean, like, of all the things that are hard to achieve in this film, yeah. getting an exact match with the president's cornea yes. and then doing surgery seems... And that's just, like, incidental. That's yeah. just a step in order to get what you want. Yeah, and he uses the eye to basically replace dummy warheads with real warheads in the missiles that they're going to launch. And then he's, like, leaving the base in his crappy old Cortina, thinking, hooray, I'm going to get lots of money now. And then Fatima drives up next to him, listening to the most horrific music you've ever heard in your life. It's like a jazz band falling down the stairs while still playing. <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, all right. And she's like, yeah, great, well done, Jack. And then she just throws a snake into his car, which causes him to crash. And then she comes up to his car and then puts a bomb in it and takes the snake and the car blows up. I just thought, you need one or the other. I know. You don't need both. The bomb would have just done the trick, really. You'd have thought. Well, the snake's just gilding the lily. Not necessary. She had two. Did she have a spare as well on the car seat? Or was it just one very long snake? It was snake? just one very long snake that she chucked in. Do you know what I reckon? Was it a real snake that she picks up at the end out of the car? Yes. Package? So I just feel, you know, like Klaus Maria Brandauer, oh. Barbara mm. Carrera invested so much in being flipping brilliant in this film. She is brilliant. And she wasn't a proper actress, was she? She'd been in... Well, she was in the 1977 Island of Dr Moreau with Michael York. Oh, was she? Because I read that she was a former Playgirl model. I think she was a model. But this, I think... There is a history of some models who... Something about being able to Project. do anything in front of a camera. Yeah. You know, and not really having any inhibitions. She is brilliant. But she is. Yeah. She, I, I just think you should 
it's almost worth kind of recutting the two of them into something else. Into a proper Bond film. Into a proper Bond film. Because there's a scene, obviously jumping ahead, but there's a scene later on where she basically makes Bond promise that she was the best thing he'd ever had. Yes, although in a way that's inconsistent with her character. Yeah. I am a superior woman. Guess where you get the first one? Yeah. (laughs) Spread your legs. So Bond is then attacked by Pat Roach in the health farm. Yes. So he takes the weight off his machine and then says, uh, heavy, Mr. Bond. See, that's a good scene. Yeah. And again, if you cast ahead, because they end up going through the kitchen. Yeah. The great fight scene in the living daylights in the kitchen, which yeah. is probably the best fight scene, I think, in a Bond film. Really? For me. Because mm. it's also, it's all those plucky British agents you realise have also been trained, but they don't get much airtime. You know, the yeah. butler who turns out to be a dead yeah. person. Yeah. I just feel this was well, well coordinated. Although, the, you know, the chef... There's a lot of after-dubbed lines, which I reckon is the Clement and Lafrenet stuff. Yes. Where she suddenly... And you can tell she's not lip-synced. Someone's oh, added yeah. over the top, the chef, mm. going, you're all crazy. Yes. Which is such a, it's such an unnecessary line when these two guys are burst into your kitchen, they're smashing each other up, and Patrick just pulls this thing out, which yeah. is like... It looks a bit like it's a springy um, piece thing. of lead piping whip. Yeah. I couldn't work out what it was, but it's no. enough to cut a blade in half. Mm. So... That's arguably the most deadly weapon I've ever seen in a Bond film. Definitely. That's not a bomb. And he also, Pat Roach gets punched with two big, massive weights. And they're thrown onto him and they bounce off him, literally. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how can you kill someone like that? Is that one of the last appearances of the great British you know, circus strongman batting? I think so, yeah. Yeah, you don't really get them in a... Certainly not a Bond film again. No. They're always fallible. But he seemed completely infa- inflammable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the word is, I can't You're think. thinking of live and let die now. I am, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there's a comedy moment, isn't it, in that, during that fight, where they go past all the old people are watching the yes. boxing match. Yes, And the punches are thrown so they don't hear there's a real fight going on behind them. And when it actually do, works quite well. It does, and when they do look round, Pat Roach is kind of dressed like a, a caretaker, <laughs> so they don't really pay any attention, and he literally gives them a look like nothing going on, and then carries on walking, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. There you go, look, that was a real genuine laugh there. That was like a Bond moment. It's it probably the only Bond one in the moment. film, because as it progresses, as we discussed earlier, he kills him with his urine. But he doesn't kill him in his urine because he gets stabbed by the uh, pipes. And they allow that scene to run. So you, you think, really? Has he really been killed by Bond's urine? And only gradually when he tips over do you see. And they're good. Now, there's good prop work where they studied his back with bits of proper broken NHS bottles, that kind of brown yeah. bottle that you get, you know, big doses of medicine yeah. and syringes and things. That was quite good enough. There was also a good little red herring there because when Bond is thrown into the shelf full of all the jars, the one he gets thrown into right next to him is a massive jar that says acid. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to throw that on him. Because I couldn't remember that it was his urine. But no, he used his urine. I'd have probably gone with the acid. I, I have to say, the storage system in that health spa. Because it's right next to the kitchen Right well. next to it, yeah. I mean, she, if that chef really wanted to make sure someone had gone mad, she could have put urine in anything, couldn't she? I actually confused that kitchen scene with, you know, the witches, where they're making the soup? Yeah. And they put that thing in. Because there's a particular kind of hat... That, that chef is wearing, which you never see, which is like a flat... It's like a little chef hat. It's it was like, like someone's wearing side. a chef's hat and they've been hit on the head with a rolling pin. You, oh, people only wear it in cartoons. They do. Well, this is a cartoon, it isn't is, it? It is, I suppose. Because a man gets hit with a massive weight bench and doesn't even flinch. <laughs> I can't imagine that would have happened, really. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, but there's also a bit, you know when, uh, going back to Jack, releases those warheads, there's a bit where two kids are playing on the beach and two massive nuclear missiles fly over their heads and they don't even look up. Now, I've got kids, and they, they're quite responsive to big things flying Mind you, if you live near an um, airbase... Oh, I suppose so. Like, I, I used to go to Cornwall a lot, and they would be flying RAF planes really low over the beach, and you just stop looking. You stop looking? Yeah. You've got, wow. you know, there's the beach, there's sand. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, I also like the, the, some of the dialogue, because after this, Bond goes back to base. Oh, yeah. And he meets the new Q, who is basically doing a terrible Michael Caine impression. <laughs> it's like, all right, James, what are you doing here? I'm making a motorbike. Isn't he supposed to be one of the best things in this film? On, Is he? Well, on the internet, people rave about it. Who's the, who's the actor again? I don't know, actually. I've written it down. Alec McCowan? Yeah, that sounds about that's right. Him, yeah. I've written Algae, Alec McCowan. yeah that's it algae is the new cue yeah and there's a good joke in there about i hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence there's references to signing a chit yes which is very ipcrest file isn't it absolutely i feel i feel we've lost a scene there where where bond does go off with algae and have sex and violence (laughs) before he begins his mission yeah but But also you must be glad because there's no close-up of horrible fingers no well i've written that because he's the the new cue but his hands are normal so they failed on every level really But he, um, he, this film, some of the dialogue in this film looks like it's written by a four-year-old. Because he says, and I've written this down, here's a watch, it looks like a watch, but really it's a laser. I've written that down too. Really it's a laser. Do you know, but lasers are so big. If you look at the, even the title sequence of Octopussy, all that Maurice Binder stuff, yeah. they've got little lasers firing yeah. out of the guns because you have to have a laser. The, uh, the world was laser crazy in 1983. Everything was lasers. The Star Wars programme was lasers. Films had lasers in them. We all wanted to have a laser gun. They, they turned out to be rubbish, didn't they? They did. The, the, the great laser lie, they should call the 80s. I'm writing that book <laughs> next week. 
So Bond then heads to the... He meets the new Money Penny as well, who's barely in this and barely has anything to do. Most of the women in this are pretty poorly written, and they're really badly costumed. You could have put a comma there. Most of the women in this film are pretty poorly written. Because <laughs> that's it, really. They're just there for scenery. And they don't, I, they, don't, they don't even look that great. And it's not no. because... And they're all... I don't know, maybe it's just something about 80s fashion. But everyone's got bad makeup. They've got really bad hair. They all look... They're all dressed like they're trying to look 50. You know, very prissy and trying kind to keep of up. big hair. And you know the, the role of the... Going back a bit, you know, the, the therapist who gives the massage? Yeah. She's got thick, dark, slate-grey eyeshadow. And I got really distracted by how unflattering it was. She looked a bit like Eutha Joyce. But, like, in the end... But not as much fun. Not as much fun. No. Yeah, when Youth of Joyce in the late 70s had, like, caked in makeup, because that's her character of Mildred. Yeah. She was supposed to be... She wasn't supposed to be sexy. Now, there's the kind of direction this film could have taken. I would have been interested. What, the George Mildred movie? No, I just mean Mildred. <laughs> oh, if, yeah. If Youth of Joyce had been one of the women in this film confronting yeah. Sean Connery, I think that would have been... Arguably, we've had more sexual tension. Definitely. Well, thankfully for her, she died three years before, so she wasn't able to do that role. Yeah, apart from that. I think she would have been great. She would have been good. Um, but then we go, he goes to the um, Bahamas. Do you know why they go to the Bahamas? No. At all? Sponsored by the Bahama government. It feels like a jolly, doesn't it? It was. I, I mean, I know Thunderbolt went to the Bahamas, but there was a point behind that, because that's where Largo's boat was. Maybe they say in this that I Largo's boat I think the Largo's boat, boat is there. I can't Barbara remember. Barbara Carrera is there water skiing, isn't she? Yeah. She, she skis very off. well. She does everything. Well. She does. That she should be the hero of this film. She's much more interesting. She, I've got a thing. Spectre matchmaking, right? She's only number 12. Yeah. Surely she should be number two. She, yeah. And however you do the hierarchy of it, given how amazing she is in every sense, mm. um, how come Largo doesn't seem to be that interested in it? Or does he know she's out of his league? Maybe. But, you know, it doesn't make sense. She seems to be trying to please him. And, you know, when he says, yes, you can kill Domino after you've killed Bond and stuff later. Yeah. Um, but it just seems to me that she's too good for him. She's probably too much of a strong lady for him. Yeah. Probably like sort of sub- submissive women. So it's a bit like, you know, women in Manhattan where there just aren't enough nice men of your own age and all these amazing, talented women are yeah. kind of single. I feel being a woman inspector... Mm. Being Fatima Blush would be like that. She must be really frustrated because actually there's men like Largo everywhere who actually are inadequate. He's a kind of precursor to the sort of Silicon Valley yeah. nerd billionaire, isn't he? He looks a bit like Julian Assange as well, which is disturbing. I couldn't, couldn't get that out of my mind. I'm not going there. No, 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 don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Um, but yeah, then, then we meet um, this lady who comes and picks them up who f- sounds like she's been horribly dubbed by someone doing a terrible French accent. Is the it Nicole? Nicole, yeah, who I kept wanting to shout papa at <laughs> all the way through. Hang on, is that in, in Nassau? Is that when they get to France? She's not in I'm there. confused now. Right, I think in Nassau what happens is yeah. he arrives, he meets Valerie Léon on her boat going fishing, yeah. goes off with her and puts on some dungarees yeah. and poses with a giant fish and yeah. it's just weird. Yeah, there's no reason. Um, and... What other thing I don't want to talk about because he's so god awful. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. Again, what is he doing? The thing about Rowan Atkinson's work is either he was cruel or he was funny, and this is in between, it's neither. Exactly. That's why the first series of Blackadder doesn't work because he's doing this character. Mm. And it doesn't work. He's cruel, like you say. That's how he works. That's why when Blackadder 2 came out, he was cruel. It's much funnier. But Mr. Bean is funny. In yeah. it, in its but he doesn't say terms. anything, does he? No. It's, it's how he behaves. But in this, he's doing... I mean, I guess he was really hot from Not 9 O'Clock News at this point. 
Well, also, I remember seeing him on stage around this time. He was in the West End in a thing called The Nerd, which is an American play. And it was this sort of part where he's a sort of socially maladroit. So that's probably why they cast him then, isn't it? And there's also something... Well, you don't have to feel sorry for Rowan Atkinson because he's very, very successful. Mm. But there's something weird about putting a character like that in where you're supposed to sort of laugh at him. But he's really incompetent. It's just terrible. Do you think the British diplomatic service in... Caribbean were really cross about this or do you think they just didn't notice? I bet no, no one went to see it so they didn't know. It made lots of money, I 150 know, million. I, I just met no one in the diplomatic service. They no. probably went. To, they were probably octopusy men. <laughs> they probably yeah, were. I'm not going to see Never Say Never Again. They probably were. But he um, turns up and is just completely awful. He's, he reminded me of, um, there's an Adam Sandler film called Little Nicky where he did, makes this odd choice at the beginning to do this facial expression and this really annoying voice. And there's no way you can watch the whole film because it's just interminable. And Rowan Atkinson's like that in this because he's doing this thing with his jaw where he's trying to talk like that and he's doing that Mr. Mr. Bean type voice and he's just unwatchable. Greasy hair. Yeah. He doesn't serve any purpose, really. Mm. But, uh, you know, and in contrast, I will say, when Sean Connery walks out in that white suit, it does fit him. Yeah. It does He does carry off a suit well. And in fact, octopus as well, you know, there's a lot of wearing light-coloured summer suits. Yeah. And, you know, it's such an anachronism. How many men could really carry that off? No. But it works. I mean, Sean Connery And there are Sean moments Connery, like that when you yeah. just think, actually, it's Sean Connery. He, he's got the paycheck mm-hmm. and he's happy to deliver. Got three million dollars for this. It's probably a lot of money, though. In 80, apparently in today's money, according to Wikipedia, it's about seven million. That doesn't sound like much more. No, I suppose not. But... But it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wouldn't say no to it. You wouldn't no. say never again. Oh, I've got a comment from my son at this point. Oh, yeah. He walked in. So when James Bond arrives in Nassau and straight away he's accosted by Valerie Leon yeah. with her belly chain, which seems, again, a bit dated, my son said, woman in bikini, objectification o'clock. <laughs> Apparently this is what young people say. <laughs> Didn't occur to me, I'm afraid. But Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That could have been the better name of this film. Like he cares. Uh-huh. Though my, you see, it's been interesting because I watched the old other Bond films a lot, and we yeah. sat down once, and my daughter, when she was younger, she said, "Can you wait? Can you wait? We were watching. You only live twice." And I said, "What?" She said, "I'm going to get a notepad and paper." I said, "Why?" She said, "I'm going to count his girlfriends," and she did. Wow! And there were about seven within the first few minutes because yes, you know, there's the lady in the bed at the beginning, very best duck, etc. Yeah, and you know, it, it, watching it through young people's eyes, they do find it bizarre. Although I don't know now, in the age of Tinder and stuff, whether it really is. She met Barbara Broccoli once, because I was on a, a charity board, and Barbara Broccoli was, and yeah. we, I took my daughter along to a meeting. And she suddenly said to her, you know, James Bond has an awful lot of girlfriends. And Barbara Broccoli said, I think you find he doesn't anymore. He tends to be much more faithful, which I thought was really nice. And it's very true as well. It is I mean, very true. I think it was Quantum of Solace, where he doesn't actually have a kiss with anybody. But then he jumps that woman in the shower in the next one. Yeah, that's problematic as well. Yeah, well... We won't go. We'll save that. We'll save that. Yeah, I think everybody's uh, waiting for that one. (laughs) But then uh, Bond, uh, again, I'm jumping all over because I have to admit, quite quite often with these films, I'm glued to them. But with this, I drifted off a lot. And like Bond will be doing something, and I start thinking, oh, I wonder if I should go and go. What should I get for shopping tomorrow? That sort of thing. I was just drifting. Even the bit with the shark with the device attached chasing him through through a boat in yeah. water. Yeah, I've written down. I've written that down. I've uh, robot sharks. You know, the, the, I felt sorry for the shark because I felt like it had trained its whole life for this scene <laughs> because it even goes through a window at one it point. Does. It's like a stunt shark. And uh, Bond drops a big sail on it. It's not very nice. Maybe if they'd gone for something other than a shark, but going for a shark again. So who's, who's controlling the shark? Is this Largo? 
It's probably Fatima Blush because she can do everything. She can do everything. Like she has the rapport with the snake. She does. She might have a mental rapport with the shark and she send it telepathic does. messages. Yeah. But yes, I've written down. Why did they go to the Bahamas? You know what? I just don't know. And I'd quite, you know, if you're going to have Sean Connery in dungarees, you kind of want to know how did that happen? Well, what happened was that he, he was in his wetsuit and he says, you literally caught me and she's wearing the dungarees. So they're obviously implying that they're... Well, they're either implying that he said, can I borrow your dungarees, please? Or they're implying there was some sort of uh, incident. But he looks so rough. He does. <laughs> if he had a better wig in this, it wouldn't be so offensive. The thing is, he didn't seem bothered. All the photos I've seen of him relaxing on set and stuff, he's mm. not got it on. He just sticks no. it on for the camera. Yeah. He doesn't seem to care. No, and he says, I watched an interview with him to promote the film, and the interviewer says, oh, I see you're wearing the hairpiece again in this film. And he was just like, yeah, because that's what they expect with Bond. But he should have had... It doesn't really... It's not doing any work. It doesn't really cover his head. It's like it's been drawn on with a biro. It's, it's barely like an inch, an inch thick. You kind of wonder what shape it is if you were above it. Like yeah. a rhombus. Oh, well, <laughs> but it does good work underwater because there's a couple of scenes with it's underwater and there's, there's hair flowing in the water. There is. Basically, if you'd have had a better wig, then it wouldn't be so bad. You get to see the tattoo. You do. You see it a lot. In the old ones, they try and cover it up. And this one, it's just like... Yeah, and it kind of goes with it, given that the whole film is a bit skanky. Well, know? yeah, exactly. Skanky is the word. And I think they're trying to push something they, tr- they did in Skyfall later. They're trying to suggest in this that Bond's old and uh, doesn't care anymore and it feels over the hill. But they didn't really carry on with that theme because that's what they're trying to suggest at the beginning, isn't yeah. it? Because at the beginning, he's effectively training recruits, isn't he? That's what, what he says. And also, you know, it's one of the few references after the whole fight at the um, health spa where... M says, so I've had to kind of put off the press. It's the first time in any Bond film that someone's acknowledged that someone might have noticed him trashing or blowing up yes. large sites. That's a very good point. So that's never mentioned ever in Bond, is no, it? No, and I have to say, as a journalist, it drives me nuts that none of these things ever seem to get reported. You know, you would definitely have reporters down there really fast. Yeah, definitely. Because he's, he's, he's a rogue. He's a rogue agent. He's a rogue he agent. smashes up things and blows things up and murders people left, right and centre. <laughs> There's never any funerals. I want to see funerals in Bond films. I want him to t- to come and the widow to shout at him, "You did this!" And him going, "Sorry, he was really evil. Look at these children. <laughs> Tried to kill me with a sword. What do you want? Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, it'd be welcome. But then Bond meets Felix again. I might be jumping ahead, but Felix yes. introduced himself by throwing a ball at him. He was a famous, I'm guessing, baseball star. No, no? Ber- Bernie Casey. What was the sport then? He was an actor. Wasn't he a sportsman as well before that? No. He just can throw a baseball. I'm, I, 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 please correct me if I'm wrong out there, but oh. Bernie Casey's just an actor, isn't he? Oh, OK. I thought he maybe had some sporting... I'm going to look this up. But maybe it's supposed to create a sense of prehistory. If it was the fact that he was a baseball player, that would be a terrible thing to put in a film. Like. Maybe. I'm a baseball player. Here's me throwing a ball. The thing is... I retired former football player. You're right. But a football player? Yeah, I had no idea yeah. Bernie Casey was a football player. What kind of research do you do, anyway? I know, sorry. Hey, I just... you know what? That's an awful thing to say. But we should be really glad that's not O.J. Simpson. Oh, God, imagine. Because, you know, you think Capricorn won. He'd been doing a lot of films by this point. Yeah, you're right. There's a whole story about Sean Connery wanting to cast him, thinking that no one ever noticed Felix. But actually, you might if he, was, if he were black. And yeah. he's actually quite charming. He's actually up with Jack Lord in terms of being quite hot. Bernie Casey's awesome. Yes. He's always good, yeah. Yes. O.J. Simpson, not so much. No, he was good looking in Capricorn 1. Didn't you cover the Simpson trial? Mm. How was that? Very unsettling. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, he's just seen coming in and out of court. Big smile. The man who beat up his wife regularly. Yeah. Well, That's what it was about in the end. His classic domestic violence abuser. That's all it was. At least he's in prison now. Yeah, well, they got him on. Kidnapping. It was to do with kind of stealing back his own... Memorabilia. Memorabilia. 
But he came into a room and said, nobody move, and technically that means kidnapping. Sorry, we've gone off on a tangent, but... Yeah. You obviously watched Made in America. Do you know what? I haven't. Oh, it's no, it's worth sh- your time. I should. I spend so much time in court covering real trials, I don't have time to watch fictionalised versions of them. Oh, no, not that one. The, the six-hour documentary. Not the oh. People versus OJ. Oh, no, maybe I should watch that. Yeah, I spent weeks of my life in court. For the OJ case. Thing. I covered the, the civil court, the one that he lost. Never paid those damages. Still hasn't, I don't think. Unless they've been amazing. selling off his stuff. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Horrible man. He's tainted those naked gun films, I tell you. <laughs> tainted them. Why should we care that he gets shot at the beginning? Anyway, so yeah, we meet Bernie Casey, and that's when we get the delivery of his new motorbike. We don't know. I think he does say it's a motorbike, doesn't he? It's in like a polystyrene box oh. being pulled along by the car. And the lady says, what's that? And he says something like, it's my motorbike. This whole sequence does feel like a Peugeot ad, though, doesn't it? Yes, especially with the Nicole Papa yeah, stuff going the, on. the villa on the ill. Yeah, but it's just after this that he then breaks into the massage parlour <laughs> and uh, sexually assaults Domino. <laughs> I also, shouldn't laugh, but you know, she's, can I just say, Kim, are you thinking Basinger? Basinger? I'd say ba- Basinger. I don't know now. Basinger? I love her. She is good. Do you know, she's such a trooper because she manages to look both young and innocent and kind of knowing. And you can tell when, like you say, the camera zooms in and she's got to smile like, ah, oh, uh-huh, he's actually a soft. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's awesome. And you sort of feel good for you for managing to do a really good impression as if that were true yeah but we all know because we all saw it yeah she's she's good she's in this fresh face and also yeah. the dancing like yeah. again you just feel if this film could have been made a few years later or earlier because the first glimpse of her doesn't he watch her through binoculars from his villa and she's doing some aerobic dancing yep. on the boat deck yeah lago's watching and you just think this is just it's not it's not good dancing it's not no. like they've got lionel bled to choreograph it or anything good if they did and he broke her ankle and she didn't find out for five years <laughs> She, she's also very limber. Yeah. She can do the splits and things. Yeah. But they, they seemed very elaborate routines, considering she wasn't part of a troupe, there wasn't a performance she was preparing for. Oh, she was, was going to be some private performance? She was a model, wasn't she? For, first, I mean. Yeah. But yeah, she was good. I mean, she's an Oscar winner. She's one of my favourite actresses, actually. She was very good. I say was. You don't see her much anymore. But... Oh, God, she was in Nice Guys. I was going to say that's the last oh, thing I saw. Awful film. Did you not like it? No, it's just porny without being charming. Yeah. yeah we well, I was going to say that. I, I was going to say what I really object to in this film more than anything else is that the boat in Thunderball is called the Disco Volante, which is one of the greatest names ever. And this is called the <laughs> Flying Saucer. That's a stupid it's name. Rubbish. And you know who they got it off, don't you? Well, no, go on, tell me. Well, it's from, it says in the credits it's from the Khashoggi Foundation. But that's Adnan Khashoggi, who was a real life arms dealer. He only died um, a few days ago. Oh, my goodness. After watching this film again, I imagine, <laughs> of boredom. But there's a kind of irony. There's that whole discussion that um, Blofeld makes about we sell to both government and rebels. Yeah. And that's essentially Adnan Khashoggi. I mean, he sold to everybody. He was the big main man that people were doing all their Middle Eastern deals through. He was selling to governments as well wow. as rebel groups. But also there's the difference between this and the actual bond. In actual bond, they constructed a boat out of two... They did it like a cut and shut to make this cool uh, boat that could split in the end because that's a Bond thing. And in this, they just borrow one off an arms dealer. Again, CD. Yeah, well, I think Euro trash is, is the kind of overriding mood yeah. of this film, isn't it? Like, for real, they hung out in Monte Carlo. They got a real yacht. The fashions are so hideous. So bad. But the bit particularly where Bond dances with Domino 
And and you'd think, I guess they, <laughs> they, they obviously thought, well, we can do either one of two things. Because it's 1983, we can do a 52-year-old man doing some sort of funky dance on the dance floor or break dance. Oh, or like kind of Buck Rogers. Yeah, yeah, exactly like Buck Rogers. Or we can have him doing like some sort of weird tango type thing. Do you not think they were referencing Princess Diana dancing with John Travolta in the White House? Had that happened in 1983, though? They'd actually only been married to Charles for a year or two, two years. two years by then. Maybe. They might have been. So I'm sure it someone feels will tell culturally us. it was about in the air. The Smirsh listeners will, are very good at telling me when I'm wrong about things or if someone's right about something, so I hope so. But it does have the worst thing that Bond's ever done. What's that? Your brother's dead. Keep dancing. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awful. What kind of moment is that to reveal? Yeah, that's appalling, isn't it? She does too. And, of course, they must have chosen it. Is that a tango? Because then they can pause and stare at each other meaningfully and solemnly. Yeah. So he must have chosen that dance deliberately because yeah. I'm going to break the news and I'll time it so that we're looking at each other sideways on and then she knows to keep dancing. Well, I've written down here, Your Brother's Dead, Keep Dancing. Sounds like the name of a Jamiroquai album. <laughs> I can imagine that being in the shops. He does that before, though. In, um, that's a Bond thing, because in From Russia With Love, when um, uh, his... T- I can't remember his name now, but his Turkish friend who helps oh, him yes, out. Oh, yes, Adam Bay. There you go. When he meets his son at the train station, he's almost... A matter of fact, he says, Oh, by the way, your dad's dead. See you later. Have a cigarette. You that's have a it. He, he's got history with that. Yeah, but the thing is, she's supposed to be young and vulnerable and yeah. innocent. It does seem a bit harsh. It does seem very harsh. But then they play the domination game, which we talked earlier, <laughs> which has no rhyme nor reason. Yeah, because they, they, and they introduce rules. So yeah. as if, you know, normally in these kinds of face-offs, you have enough understanding that you can kind of work out what's at stake, like watching a card game. Yeah. And this you can't at all, because no. there's a nuclear button, no, and then there's the electric shock thing. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, by the way, every time you get more points, the shock gets higher. All right, thanks. And the next minute he's like, oh, by the way, just say that at the beginning, or give him a little card with the rules or something. But then Bond, what's inexplicable is Bond then works out what to do immediately and, and then wins eventually, but not before getting knocked out of it twice. Once through being in pain too much and second time from being in pain so much he collapses to the floor. And then but he's he get, been electrocuted a lot before. Yeah, oh, I know, but obviously the second time it was so bad he had to collapse to the floor. He is 52. But then you get the line where he says, um, you're a very good winner, Mr Bond. I'd like to see how you are when you lose. And he says, I've never lost. And I thought, well, you just did twice. <laughs> So what are you talking about? You literally just lost twice. I'd have picked him up on it if I was Largo. I said, but you just fell over, you idiot. But there was something, weird to say realistic, about the character of Largo. If, he, if you see the analogy being like a Silicon Valley unpleasant sociopath, having invented his own game with kind of quite elaborate wooden handles and controls, yeah. and having it all set up that way and being this hideous child. Well, it reminded me of those machines that you see at like Thorpe Park, where you hold it and it gives you electric shocks you have to hold on as long as you can. You ever seen them? No. They look like an electric chair. And you sit in the chair and they've got two metal poles and you hold them. And I think it just shocks you a bit and you have to hold on as long as you can. Is that like a kind of theme park version of the Stanford Prison Experiment? (laughs) I guess it is, yeah. Well, everything's commercialised these days, isn't it? It's been a while since I went to Thorpe Park. Right, it might not be Thorpe Park. Apologies if I'm wrong. Oh, can I point out some more bad dubbing? Yeah. So, you know what this thing... Largo talks to Barbara Carreras and Fatima Blush and they have this whole discussion about, yes, you can kill Bond and then I'll let you kill Domino. Yeah. And she goes off down the stairs humming. Yes. The humming seems to be dubbed. Yes. Afterwards. Yeah. And yet she's actually really well, she's letting her hair loose and she's really excited because she's going to kill someone. And going down the stairs very well in big heels. I really, big heels. I, and I was terrified for her that she was going to collapse because she skips down on these heels. Hey, being a woman, this is one of the things you learn, is yeah. negotiating all these things in heels. Well, I, I, I stand corrected. Yeah. Not in heels, obviously. That wouldn't be very good. But I liked the voice of the domination game, because all I could think of was Metal Mickey. 
I expect it to go Well, it's also the voice woogie. of the Cylons in the original Battlestar Galactica. Mm. This was the level of technology. And actually, the visuals of it, it's very Cylon attack. It is. I'm wondering if Atari did the game. No, because I, well, I was looking on the internet and people oh. were saying, why someone not invented this game? Oh. But I was, no, I mean, not in real life. I'm oh. wondering for the film. I wonder if they did the yeah. visuals for them. It was pretty crappy. It was wasn't crappy it? and it made no sense. And you'd have these little like, blockbuster triangles. Well, it looked like, you know, it says a world domination, you know, pick a country, Spain or France. Yeah. And then it seems to divide them up by region. And you're like, you know, I've taken Ile de France and now I'm taking, you know, Provence. And you think that's not very sexy. It's sort of no. like, you know what it reminded me of? It's like an election count result. Yes. Filling yeah. it in. It felt like, yeah, this is exactly it. It felt like 14-year-old me watching an election when they're talking about the swings. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? John Curtis going, oh, just taken two in the north. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking, right, this is obviously something's happening, but I have no idea what it is. And thank God he collapses, otherwise it would be going on forever. Because yes. there just seems to be any way to win this game. Deeper levels of pain, yes. I've written down. I think that must be something Largo says. He's, Largo says that, yeah. Obviously he's in the film, so he knows about that. Does James Bond eat an apple after this and spike it on the on a Hindu goddess? Yes, when he goes back to the house that he's living in, the lady with the terrible French accent has been killed in a waterbed. She didn't last long, did she? Didn't, not with that voice. Can I say it was a good death scene? And I know it's creepy because Bond films do this line, it's always a bit disturbing, but you know, like the, um, the golden girl and everything? Yeah. Because he finds that, is it, I thought it was a waterbed, but it's not, it's a kind of water table full of water. Yes. And she's, she's face down under it. Yeah. And obviously, thought, just hold your breath for a few seconds, we'll get the shot, and then you can go. Yeah, um, it was a good so death. It's done quite well. And as you say, he came in eating an apple, and he spikes it on the statue. And then he sees, in true rubbish film style, looks out the window to see Fatima outside, almost like shaking her fist at him, going, ha ha, and then she runs off in her Renault Clio. I wonder what her brief was. Do you think she sort of thought, I'm going to do, I'm basically going full on Beelzebub, you know, I'm sort of a, a demon running away, because she has her cloak flowing a lot of yeah. the time, and she's cackling. She yeah. actually is cackling. She actually I think is. She's, she's actually channeling Disney villainess. Yeah, I think that's what she's doing. And she does it very well, as we said earlier. But this is when Bond busts out his awesome motorbike. Yeah, it's quite a good chase, isn't it? It is, but, but. The, the helmet... It, James Bond wouldn't have worn a crappy helmet like that. No. It's a bit unsexy, isn't it? I'm yes. going to go and get her, but safety first. <laughs> yeah, mind you, those streets around um, Nice or Monte Carlo are pretty narrow. This but is see, James Bond. But this, again, is where it gets... Well, maybe it's, it's part of the whole, you know, the porny feel. Because remember, then he goes into that tunnel and there's a leather gang yeah. in the tunnel yeah. with chains. And you think this is a whole new secret. They're trying to get him into... Um, They're effectively forcing an errant horse into a horse <laughs> into box. Into a horse box. Yeah. I thought I put down possibly sailors. Yeah, well, again... From the docks. Yeah, well, maybe he went out with them the night before and uh, things got bad. This is, this is definitely the, um, the kind of dungeon-y moment from this whole film because then he manages to escape and he goes down to the docks and he, he's lost her, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And he goes into kind of stone dock building and suddenly she swings a boom round and knocks him off his bike. Yeah. And then you have that whole spread your legs, I mean, to shoot your penis off. Yeah, and again, this is going back to how much of a strong character she was. Had he have not had that pen, he'd be dead, because she defeated him. She knocked him off of his super bike. Yeah, and not only that, someone pointed out she's one of the few people in Bond film to really keep an eye on him with his gun. Like, she's really mm. watching it when she tells him to put it down. And she explodes. He yeah. shoots her, and she's like, she's laughing, and then she explodes. And then there's a perfect moment there for a Bond joke, and he, I think he just literally points out a fact. He says something like, oh, she blew up. We should just go back to that scene because the thing is, she's great. Yeah. And she says, right, you're going to write a letter. And she actually dictates yes. it to him, saying so I'm he can use the best, his pen. that I'm the best you've ever had. Yeah. And, and it's something like, 
Fatima Whitbread has afforded me Fatima the Whitbread. greatest. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Please edit this carefully. I don't want to libel anybody. Um, Fatima Blush has accorded you the greatest rapture of your life, yeah. which is the kind of like Charles Dickens would have written. Like yeah. He'd have said, "I want you to say I'm the best lady of your life." Mm. It's it's strangely archaic, but mm. quite good English, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like yeah, posh. It's proper like Bond villainy. But it's also, of course, completely inconsistent with her character. Yeah. Like, she knows she is. But this is we what... We all know she is. This is what I was going back to saying earlier, though, that Bond's magic effluence, like in Prometheus with the black goo, has slowly worked its way inside her and turned her into a crazy, love-sick lady. Oh, I see. And if I can't have you, then you must die. Much like his urine killed Pat Roach. And uh, that, girl, that girl's given her dungarees. She has a really good death scene. It's really good. It's the best one. Because she flinches when she's been shot. Then she thinks, well, hang on, it hasn't killed me. And she starts cackling. Yeah, and then suddenly the, it's like on a fuse. It fizzes, it? yeah, and then blows her up. I also think it's a reminder about the dangers of wearing artificial fibres. Yes. Because I think it caught on that blouse. It was all synthetic by she that She went point. up like a candle. And there are burning stilettos. Do you think it, the, the, the filmmakers are trying to make some kind of statement about feminism in their own anachronistic way? It felt like it, didn't it? Felt like, yeah, she, she was a strong lady, but at the end of the day, a man still made her explode. Yeah, it's a shame she wasn't around for longer. And then you see, how did they escape? Felix turns up. Felix turns up, oh God, and this is when they pretend to be boxing training. Into boxing yes, training. I felt they looked like they were coming back from a night's clubbing on Mykonos myself. Yeah. They stripped down to vest and pants. Vest and pants, and Bond's cycling, and uh, Felix is pretending to do boxing. Yes. Which again, it kind of feels like two old men who have just stolen a crate of meths and are escaping. Do you know what I realised at this point in the film? This would have worked so much better if they were trying to make Dirty Rotten Scandal. Yeah. You know, Sean Connery and Roger Moore together in a version of Dirty Rotten Scandal. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it? But who would have been the uh, Steve Martin, though? They can't... Roger Moore. Well, actually, Klaus Maria Brandauer could have been... Ruprecht. Ruprecht. <laughs> well, that was his character. I can't remember what the actual thing's called. But then he'd be a bit too... When, when he brings the lady down to say, we're moving to you know Oklahoma, <laughs> he'd have probably started stabbing her in the face or something. It wouldn't have been funny. But it just felt like, you know, the whole tone of this film, there's something sleazy and sort of scuzzy anyway about the south of France and all those ageing yeah. roues. Yeah. Sean Connery would definitely have the charm to con a lady out of her money, her riches. But he's the, he's the Michael Caine character. The problem is, if you have him and Roger Moore, they're both playing the same role, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, him and Klaus Maria Brandauer. Then. How's it pronounced again? Klaus Maria Brandauer. Oh, that's better. Do you know, I can't actually roll my R's like a proper German, sadly. Uh-huh. I try. Uh-huh. Well, you should just accept it for what it is and move on, I say. <laughs> just like uh, everything in, to do with Germany. Do you know he was actually slightly scary when I met him? What, when did, what did you meet him again? He was performing in a very odd opera at the Royal Opera House last year, um, and he was playing the father of a Norwegian fisherman. It was this composer who writes in the intervals between notes, so not even semitones, but okay. like fractions of notes. So it's, basically, it's really difficult to listen to. And, yes, Klaus Brandauer was the father... And I said, how, you know, how do you prepare because you're not a trained singer and the music isn't kind of regular music. And he just explained how he'd, he'd done a four-hour King Lear and he'd done an 11-hour Wallenstein, which is this trilogy by Schiller. So wow. basically, he's a really serious, intense actor. He could do anything. And, yeah, he just gives off. I mean, he was really nice, but you just felt a bit like Largo. If you said the wrong thing, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him. Well, I remember as well at this time, I remember him being really big. Like he was yeah, like the go-to big. guy for gravitas in films. Well, and he does that. He's mercurial, so he can be funny one second like he's in this and then really sinister. I'm trying to remember where he... Colonel Radl, Mephisto, which is where he's the actor in Nazi Germany who thinks he can 
just ignore what's going on outside. Was that the thing and that launched him? And he gives him? Meryl Streep syphilis in Out of Africa. The bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry. Yeah, poor Robert Redford. I was trying to remember what the thing was that launched him, because it's usually like a film. Because this was Oscar-nominated. Oh, was it? Okay. Because Das Boot's the one I always think, when someone uh, as a German origin actor in the 80s, I always think, oh, I must Jürgen be from Das Boot. That's the one. So... Where have we got to? Well, Bond and Felix go off on their boxing cover. Because, again, something you don't see in Bond films, loads of police turn up to investigate this massive explosion. <laughs> At last. Yeah, yeah. Again, don't often see that. And I was, I was just reflecting as we were watching this, because my notes, as the film goes on to this point, just start to be one line, because I was losing I think I've live. actually written nothing about the next half hour of the <laughs> this film. This is going to be interesting. Uh, but I was reflecting that it's weird that Sean Connery comes back, because I was thinking, 1983, so they probably filmed this in 82, which is 20 years since Doctor No. It would be a bit like Christian Bale coming back to play Batman in 2025. It would be really strange. Except it wouldn't, would it? Wouldn't it? Actors don't age in the same way now. They That's don't... true. Tom Cruise is older now than Sean Connery was then. Yeah, and Tom Cruise as looks exactly like Tom Cruise. He's, he's, cre- he's creeping in a bit, but he still looks bloody good. I think he's like 57 or something. He does look good. He does. Yeah, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bond and Felix. And I, I've just written here that this film really feels like it could have been directed by Michael Winner. Because there's lots of odd moments of comedy. And I don't know, you know. It reminded me very much of Bullseye. I knew you were going to say that, even though I have never seen Bullseye. But it reminded me of it because you get, you get a moment where the, the film's trying to do a thing and then thinks, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we got him in a vest and pants cycling while Felix is in his vest and pants pretending to box? That feels like a Michael Winner thing. I'm wondering if, mm-hmm. if he was like a consultant on this. Yeah, it needed to go further in one direction or the other. Like either... Yeah. To do something a bit homophobic. Yeah. Or do something more with, like, socks and suspenders. Yeah. And it does neither. No, neither. In fact, there's nary a suspenders to be seen in this film. No. Felix does look good. I thought you were going to say Felix wears suspenders. <laughs> I don't remember that bit. <laughs> Felix does look good. Uh, and it's, You don't it's... want to see James Bond in a vest. No. The next note I have is Largo breaking the statue. This is my favourite moment in the film. Oh, where yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got Bond, he's got her, and they're in his fort in... Is it supposed to be North Africa? North Africa, this is it, yes. Yeah. This is where and, I got to, yeah. um, And he suddenly reveals that I know, hmm. and he gives her the statue and says it belonged to Napoleon's mistress. That's right. And then he makes her break it, and he says, I'm going to marry you. And he gives her a really, a really salivary kiss. Yeah, you see, you like, see the string. string of saliva come yeah, off. Yeah, that's, that's method acting. And he starts singing some classical music, which I thought was Schubert's The Trout, but I don't think it is, which is the music that Guy Ritchie always uses to torture people to. Yes, you're right. And actually, I worked out what happens to the film at this point. What? It turns into Pirates of the Caribbean, the ride. You're right. Have you ever been to Pirates of the Caribbean before 1996? Oh, not before 1996, Right, before 1996. You know, there was this whole thing where when you're on the boat through the the town being sacked, Mm -hmm. all the pirates are chasing women to rape them. And there's a slave auction, sex slave auction. And there's vultures and things in the forts. Goodness me. this film. Yeah, because in his prison cell he's got vultures for some reason. Well, the thing is, they've, got, they've built these great sets and you, you're sort of thinking, oh, is he going to be slowly pecked to death? And mm. like, they know they'll give him a wound or something, you know, yeah. like, like they did with um, well, In Fear Eyes Only. Yeah, And they kill want? him. But they, don't, they just tie him up. Yeah. And there are some very nice vultures they've obviously hired in. Yeah. And there are a load of skeletons they must have got from, I don't know, leftovers from um, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. But nothing... No, he's literally left to his own devices. Happens. And then he gets the laser... The laser does work. The laser works. Gets the laser Takes out. some ages, though. But then, yeah, uh, uh, on the flip side to that, Domino is then auctioned off. I know. Which is unpleasant. It's, it's really nasty, and um, I'm not going to joke about it, but it is one of the reasons why this is quite a good film, because it's such a horrible thing to do. Yeah. But it's not as horrible as the treatment the poor horse gets. No. 
when they... Well, the, can, before we get to the horse, can I oh, just yeah. say, yeah. stunt lingerie. Okay, it's two things. One, Lager yeah. comes and puts on a boombox. Do you remember that? Yes. Like, you're going to be, you're going to be auctioned off as a sex slave to some music that I've chosen. Here's my mixtape. So yeah. Quite sinister. And then Bond comes on the horse to rescue her. And obviously it's a stunt woman jumping on the horse behind him with a, yeah. with a matching wig. And she has to have lingerie that looks like it's lingerie, but it won't go all the way up her bum yeah. because she's got to kind of climb and kick and stuff in it. Mm. So I don't know how they made that, but I was very impressed by the stunt It's, it's the magic of Hollywood. Wendy Leach, the lady stunt person. Wow, you have done research. Yeah. Well, I thought she was very good. She was very good. And then the horse. Let's talk about the horse. That bit is done so badly. Well, it suddenly turns into Krull, doesn't it? When yeah. they jump off this fort. Yeah. And the, the leap is, what, a few hundred feet? A few hundred feet at least. And the RSPCA cut the shot where you see the horse and them hit the water. Even though later on you see the horse swim away. Yeah, you see the horse is fine. Because I was worried about that for a minute because you didn't see anything from the horse. What was the argument? Because presumably no horse was harmed. Well, they didn't actually kill a horse. I guess they it. didn't want to encourage people to ride off cliffs on horses. Yeah. Which, you know, people would do that. You know, there's a whole thing on the internet where here's the deleted scene mm. that you don't see on the UK DVD release and it's just a bit more of the horse. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't researched that for I've obvious that reasons. I've seen that scene. Have you? Yeah, you did, see does, the horse hit the water. Did it make you want to go out and ride a horse off a cliff? No. Watching this film makes me want to ride off a cliff. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? There's a great I... moment just before he jumps off in the horse, though, the camera does it like a vicious close-up on them and then they drop out of frame to suggest they've fallen off a cliff. And it, does, <laughs> it doesn't convince me at all. It doesn't convince you? No. Then, you know when they get rescued? Are they rescued mm. by the Navy? They're rescued by the CIA. Yeah, Felix yeah. is going in the Navy. He's got a sub. Um, yeah. I've written down sub attacking a listed building. Yes, they start firing indiscriminately at this fort. At a medieval fort. Or in fact, yeah. it's pre-medieval, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure UNESCO would have something to say about that. They would. In fact, there's some serious um, destruction of sites of cultural richness. There are. Because he knocks the head off that underground thing. Yes. And I thought that's like the Taliban blowing up the Bamiyan Buddhas, really. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, and to, to not much effect either. It, it makes someone sprain an ankle or something. doesn't do anything. Dodge. Yeah. Um, but then the, you get the scene where Bond and uh, Felix go on those sort of walk-in bath jetpacks for no reason. They're like shower jetpacks, aren't the they? Shower, like, like you could probably have a shower as well. Yeah. Old, yeah, this reminds me of those adverts you see for old people who can't get in a bath. <laughs> they get in this, and it's quite fitting for the age of Sean Connery at this point. Yeah, they get in these jetpacks, they fly over to a hole, and then they're like, right, we'll get in this hole now. I'm like, why, why did you need the jetpack? Did they think, oh, well, it's a tribute to the um, jetpack in the first... But it's rubbish. Hole. I know, it doesn't even look better. It felt like someone had said, I've got this jetpack, would you like to use it? You know, at this point, I stopped making notes. <coughs> uh, I pretty much did as well. I've just put that um, Largo and his men are wearing a nice tracksuit. And uh, I just put that the, the, the end of this film is interminable. But with Thunderball, it's, I, always, I don't like the ending of Thunderball, but you get these lovely visuals of underwater camera work. But in this, you don't get that at all. Except when she arrives at the very end, and she's all, all her blonde hair is floaty. Yeah. And she looks really good in the swimsuit, and she kills him. You know what? I can't even remember how Largo dies. She comes down and shoots him with a dart gun. Suddenly, yes, that's it. At the very, very end. But even before that, I mean, I just feel we're shortchanging Klaus Maria Brandau because mm -hmm. he does things in lots of different languages. He does. Really well. And he there's a great scene where they're setting up the bomb in this amazing underground chamber, which is a major archaeological site. You'd have thought you could make money just out of monetizing that. Yeah. You know? And they've got a camera feed to Spectre HQ. Yeah. And... What's his name is there? Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow's there, and you know that the bomb guy he's got with him. He goes, "Oh look, have a look!" And mm. he suddenly gets into look to camera and say hi, and then he goes, well, "You can go now." Yeah. They've got very good feed. I thought yeah. they were very good. Uh, someone had laid the cabling very well. Well, definitely. Yeah. After Largo dies, we then get Bond in his swimming pool with Kim Bassinger, and then they hear a noise. 
and he goes to investigate. It's Rowan bloody Atkinson again, and he throws him in the swimming pool. I don't understand why. No, I think he's coming... He's coming to ask him to work. He's coming to ask him to come back and work, and then he says, never, and then she goes, never, and then he winks to the camera. Do you know, when she says never, she does it really well, and then he winks rightly. Really bad. I think that whole sequence is is like it's basically people's dad's fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. Of them, and the thing is, they were probably all about the same age as Sean Connery by this time. Mm. So it was a load of dads going to see it, fantasizing about being James Bond, and and actually, what what is the fantasy of some of those men? It would be to sit in a jacuzzi and drink cocktails, and it even looks like an Athena poster from that era, doesn't it? Yeah. The cocktails she brings out for him. Absolutely. And also, men of that age can come out going, I can be James Bond. Yeah. I'm 52 Well, it's the fantasy of the second trophy wife, <coughs> isn't it? Because she's, yeah. so, she's so much younger. But it's unfortunate, because the, um, the, the ending, I mean, even if you, the film had built up any guilt, goodwill at this point, it lost it with him winking at the camera. Because that wink to me says, I've had a lovely holiday. But he's broken the fourth wall before. He hasn't. George Lazenby did. Yeah. We all say that's the best Bond film, don't we? Yeah. But he didn't wink at the camera. I find that insulting. You find it insulting? After watching this film, that is insulting. If he'd done it at the beginning, I'd forgive it. I think it's it's not as insulting as some of the other things in this film. It feels like someone's beaten me up for an hour and a half and then just winked at me as they walked off. Thanks very much. I sat through But maybe, see, he's talking to all those dads. That's true. You know, this is the year that Saga magazine was launched. (laughs) That moment where the grey pound... But all those people kind of hitting retirement with final salary pensions were all fantasising about... Well, it feels quite fitting because the, the box office battle that summer was between two men in their mid-50s. I mean, Octopussy and Never Say Never Again were the biggest films of that year in 1983, or certainly one of the biggest. It's weird, isn't it? It's so strange. Can you imagine that? I suppose Tom Cruise, is, as we say, is still going, but you don't have any equivalent of Tom Cruise, really, yeah, do you? It's a risky business is about then, isn't it, as well? Yeah, and he is but a babe. Um, but Octopussy... Obviously, it's a much better film than this. Yeah, I, I'm surprised at how much better it looks. And I think mm. it's partly just, it's got the confidence of all the dressing. So the sound, the extras, the money to just dress it up lavishly. John Barry. John Barry. Ken Scott. Adam. Yeah. You know, all, it all and helps. And Maud, what's the name? Adams. Maud Adams, who is beautiful. And actually, mm. you know that whole pre-title sequence with the clown escaping from... The circus. Circus, yeah. And then smashing through the glass windows. With the Fabergé egg. With the Fabergé egg. I, I thought the best ones were always when you had that sense of, dare I say, you know, the bravery mm. of people in the service. That's why yeah. I like The Living Daylights as well, which has a similar feel. Yeah. You know, kind of good men who died and 009, isn't it? Yeah. And even though it's, it's hideously naff, it just looks sumptuous. Whereas this does, I mean, this, this is actually, I was surprised to see the cinematographer on this was Geoffrey Unsworth. Who did all the Indiana Jones films? Douglas Slocum. Douglas Slocum, sorry, I'm thinking of the man yes, who did Superman. I kept looking for where's the Douglas Slocum shots because if you think about Indiana Jones and you think about the rolling rock, yeah. there's a shot like that in lots of films. And this has a whole sequence in the equivalent of a big archaeological tomb. Yeah. But there's nothing like it. I thought the bit when he's chained up with the vultures was nicely. Yes. That's kind true. of indie. Like you even thought of Raiders of the Lost Ark with yes. the skeletons and everything. That's true. I always get Unsworth and Slocum mixed up. But yeah, I mean, but you don't come out of it thinking, oh, it was full of beautiful visuals. You just think it's very perfunctory yeah. in terms of filmmaking. The film felt like all the scenes were sort of slung together very quickly. And the rare moments when it paused <clears> were things like a couple of the fights or the chases where yeah. they allowed them to be cut the way that you'd want to cut a good fight. But it feels like a direct to video film. It really does. They um, inexplicably made lots of money. And thinking about Octopussy, you know, because I remember at the time, you know, there's stuff in it that at the time I felt, you know, the whole John Glenn double take with Vijamit Raj um, and his tennis racket hitting yeah. villains while crowds of poor ooh, Indians ooh, are going, yeah. 
I still find, see that I find more annoying than Sean Connery winking at the end of this. Yeah. Because it's so trite. Yes, I agree. And you are supposed to try and take the chase kind of seriously. That entire sequence, which I did discuss in the Octopussy podcast, but is full of that sort of thing, like the man on his bed of nails. Yeah. He's like, get off my bed of nails. And then there's a sword swallow. There's a sword swallow. And the guy, uh, Mark Heap, browned up juggling, which seems a bit... Oh, God, it is. It is. It's horrible, yeah. Okay. Well, the line, I mean, I didn't actually watch it to the end in preparation, but the line that really got me was... You know when he wins all that money at backgammon? Oh, don't, yeah. Keep you in curry for a few weeks. You've had yeah, all that. Yeah. Um, but somehow, I don't know, It's a lot of it's down to Roger Moore's charm, isn't it? It is. It's all his charm. It carries the whole... It carries many a Bond film, even View to a Kill, where he has no business being in it. I but really like View to a Kill. I like View to a Kill as well, but for many different reasons. <laughs> it's the most hilarious Bond film ever made. But also in this, all the women look really good in saris, and there's a big thing in Asian families, like, can non-Asian women carrying for sari because it's actually quite a tough thing to carry on yeah and they all look really good and I love that escape where what's her name who can't act but yeah. she ties a sari to the railing and she jumps off that was John Glenn's idea it's a great idea it's a great idea isn't it yeah, yeah. and then she has matching underwear I have to say if she was a real Indian lady she would have a sensible little blouse and petticoat <laughs> that's good to know yeah so how, so how did you feel at the time about Octopussy? Well, I remember there, was, there weren't all these kind of great film magazines around at the time which had film review, and it yeah. had a big cover story about, you know, the Battle of the Bonds. And I felt, looking back and remembering at the time, everyone felt the Sean Connery one looked skanky. Mm. You could tell. Yeah. And, yeah, I think you were also aware that Roger Moore's ones were starting to look out of date, you mm. know, in the world of 83. I mean, Blade Runner had come out the year before, you know, stuff is changing. But what Roger Moore's one had that this one didn't is Roger Moore was still, still using the Cold War as a background. Yeah, and really well. Yeah, which was huge at the time. And this is, this is 1960s. Do you this know, is... I, that's the thing that really annoyed me because that pre-title sequence in Never Seen Ever Again, which seems to be set, and so you find out it's just a war game, it yeah. seems to be set in some kind of Central American revolutionary situation. Yeah. This, is, this is the Americas where, you know, Missing has just been made. You've got all those terrible wars going on with kind of Chile and Grenada and stuff. Yeah. And you thought you could have done a film. Well, obviously, he didn't have the rights to do anything else other than Thunderball. But to somehow have referenced a more contemporary world would have been great. But they did, do, they did have plans to do another one. Oh, yeah, which is going to be named after some missiles. I don't yeah, know Warhead. Warhead. Yeah. Probably the title would have changed because I was reading that this was originally called uh, James Bond of the Secret Service. That's what the script was called. But Sean Connery said that he told the story about how he said to his wife, I'll never do another Bond film, and she said, never say never again. Which, it's a fun title, but in terms of the fitting this film, it makes no sense whatsoever. Because at no point in this film do you think, ah, never say never again. Until the very, very end. Which is crowbarred, really. Yeah. What they could have been referring to is never put Rowan Atkinson in a film ever again. <laughs> but I suppose if the whole film is a sort of self-aware breaking of the fourth wall mm. then that's what the title is what you should have had is when he winked they should go back George Lucas style make it fair and then have Kim Bassinger get the camera and give a look like this guy is a complete dick I hate him <laughs> there is one reference to the real world you know when they've been rescued and they're having a shower in the submarine there's a picture of a smiling Ronald Reagan on the back wall you're right yeah and that's it that's as close as the real world gets because this film it just feels like a remake of a 60s film it has no bearing in real life whatsoever. without being in the 60s yeah it's a shame yeah none of the charm because that's what I've done I've made it in the 60s although you notice Octopussy you thought when was the last time Bond wore a hat and you think it was something like Goldfinger Roger Moore walks into Octopussy with a hat always bothers me that and puts it on the um, no one wears um, them anymore again this is going back when we talked about it in um, For Your Eyes Only but it feels like John Glenn wants to take it back to the 60s and have all the tropes from the old films 
but it doesn't work in that modern setting. It just feels incongruous. If the fact that he's wearing a hat at all feels incongruous. Never mind the fact that yeah. Money Penny's doing her makeup in a retractable <laughs> filing cabinet mirror for some reason, yeah. which again suggests that her, her only job there is to make herself look pretty. The filing cabinet serves no other purpose than to hold her mirror. Well, you get a real sense from those films, don't you, of the shrinking, deluded worldview of a certain kind of, I don't know, male producers? I don't know. Yeah, well, it gets worse. I mean, I won't go into it now, but it gets worse with the Dalton ones when they replace Money Penny. Yeah, but then the rest of the films are good apart from the Money Penny aspect of it. Yeah, they're brilliant, but the Money Penny, they replaced... Because yeah. obviously you couldn't have a new Bond with the same Money Penny. The flirting wouldn't really work, would it? But yeah, they didn't do um, much justice to her. Anyway, we've reached the point of the podcast where I'm going to ask you some quick-fire questions, if you're all right with that. Yeah. Have you not had every possible combination of answers to them, though? No, they're always, they're always full of surprises. <laughs> so, first of all, uh, who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film? Oh, God, I hadn't thought about who's the best Bond. So, In your opinion? Um, I do have a soft spot for George Lazenby, just because he didn't seem to care, and I think that arrogance worked very well. Yeah. OK, and what's the best Bond film, then? The Majesty's Secret Service. The Majesty's Secret Service. But I do like The Living Daylights a lot. Good. Timothy Dalton is a very close second. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, so, in your opinion, what's the worst Bond film, and who is the worst Bond? Well, this is, if you count it as a Bond film... Yeah. But otherwise, it's probably something like Quantum of Solace, or what was the one after it? Skyfall. I didn't like Skyfall. I thought no. the whole thing falls apart. There's no coherence. I was saving my ire for my Even Skyfall. Even Spectre, actually. Spectre's nonsense. Basically, all the last three. I'm nodding. Did you say who was the worst Bond? Oh, I didn't. No. I think that's unfair. Do you? Well, because I did think Cena Royal worked on its own terms. But certainly... I have to be careful because I might have to interview. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. So Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny, Small Bone, Goodhead. Could you give me your best Bond lady name <laughs> that you've just made up? <laughs> I haven't made up a Bond lady name. Don't oh, worry. Oh, I can't think of one. I don't want it to be rude. It doesn't have to be rude. Someone the other day said Priority Lane. <laughs> That's such a good one. Yeah. So it doesn't have to oh, be can rude. I come back to that? You'll have to edit it in. Yeah, all right. I can't think of it right now. Okay, so, uh, all right, this one you definitely won't want. Uh, give <laughs> me your best Bond film title that you've just made Oh, up. I've got a few. Oh, go on. I've thought about this a bit too hard. But actually, a serious one will be Eight Arms to Hold You, which you will know was the, the original title of Help. Yeah. But it would play on that whole spectre octopusy I was thinking octopusy, yeah. Because the poster, of course, has got her with eight arms literally holding yeah. him. And then I was thinking, well, the thing is only supposed to be a bit like a, a pun on a saying. Yeah. And I couldn't think of any good ones, so I came up with a cup of tea and an ice sit-down, like something to do with ice. <laughs> you know what? Because you've got multiple, I'm sure you've got a couple more. Let's forget the lady names okay, forget and the let's ladies. go with the okay, bond okay, I've got a couple go of others. Go on. La- last Brexit to Oslo. Oh, I like that. That's kind of referencing the Norway arrangement. Yeah. The spy who reported me to HR. <laughs> Like, um, outsourced to Owestry. I don't know how you pronounce Owestry. It's that place in Shropshire. But I was thinking, you know how they want to move MI5 out of London and yeah. they want to move Channel 4 out? And I just thought, you know, the idea of a bond who's affected by austerity and mm-hmm. actually they're moving MI6 out to somewhere in rural Shropshire. Yeah. And it also is playing on the whole, you know, Bullet to Beijing, those Len Dayton... I was going to say, that sounds like Len Dayton, yeah. And then um, I had... Well, then I started to think of something to do with, with cards and things. And I thought something like Jack of Clubs, but that's a bit boring. Um, and then, then I just thought something with the word... Well, I even just came up with inappropriate. 
Oh, I like inappropriate. Yeah. But it might be inappropriate something. It'd also be a good song, wouldn't it? Inappropriate. That's what you are. Yes, I think yep. that's my list. Uh, so, who would you have as James Bond next? Oh, do you know? I I don't mind actually. Mm. I think. I actually wish they'd give Piers Brosnan another go. Another go? Yeah, because if you look... Have you seen No Escape? No. It's where he plays a kind of grizzled ex-James Bond type in the Far East who helps Owen Wilson escape from blood-crazed revolutionaries. And he's great. So that and would be quite in. he's been a deadly assassin. You know, when he was... I think back to The Long Good Friday. Yeah. I just think... He's done so much interesting stuff that's not Bond. I just think people have undervalued what he can do. That would be quite in right now because of Logan. You know, people liking... Yeah old the people dealing with being old and still being quite hard yeah i think that would work and you think and i can't think of any bond films that have actually thought anything sex actually sexy has really happened on screen but if you think about his remake of the tom's crown affair that scene with him and rennie russo that's the sexiest thing i've ever seen a bond actor do um so a hypothetical fist fight takes place between simon templer the saint and james bond 007 who wins it depends which bond doesn't it see no one's explored that avenue haven't they no been one or t'other. I have this feeling that Piers Brosnan would win, just because he's tricky. I have a feeling you and like Piers Brosnan. Background. Well, I just think he's been underrated. I think um, I, I just I remember when I saw The Long Good Friday, which was years and years after it ever came out, and yeah. he was. It's the scariest villain I've ever. He seen doesn't in the say film. a word in it, does he? No, he's and he turns up at the end with a knife, and it's scary with a gun. Yeah. And um, I think there's something sort of you can't pin him down, and that's why he's so good and scary. I think he would probably win because he, he could play nasty. He seduces and kills Belloc as well from Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. That's right. Have you seen um, The Fourth Protocol? No. You should watch that. That's he's got, a villain in that. He's, the, he's a, a Russian agent who's come over here to build a warhead to blow up England, and Michael Caine is in the intelligence ag- uh, service and has to find him. But he's, he, he plays like a really suave British person, Pierce Brosnan, but really he's Russian. It's very good. Anyway, finally, you're stranded on an island with Connery, Lazenby, Moore, Dalton, Brosnan and Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? I have thought about this, okay. sadly. And my answer is I would choose Piers Brosnan. Because <laughs> I just think, you know, he, he probably would be quite a good leader. He's a survivor. And then I know I'm thinking about this wrong word, but I'm thinking, oh, but you know, some of these people are alive and I wouldn't really want to say that I'm, who I would eat. So there's a case for eating Daniel Craig because there's lots to go around. Yeah. There's a case for stewing, <laughs> stewing Sean Connery very slowly, nourishing stew. Yeah. Could Slow last cook. for weeks. <laughs> yeah. I'm a vegetarian. Oh, well, that's probably a bad question for it. All right, which one would you cook a nice nut roast for? <laughs> Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Well, Samira, thank you so much for being on Smash Bros. It's a real pleasure talking to you, genuinely. My and pleasure. Sorry to make you watch Never Say Never Again more than once. Yeah. I feel terrible that you had to watch it more than once. I feel terrible. And I had dreams about it last night, which is even more terrible. Really? But I came up with another way that Bond might die. Oh, go on. Because he's quite old. Mm. Leg cramp. At the opportune moment. You know, like in the middle of a fight. Yeah. Cramp. And then oh. he'd just get... It'd be done for. Yeah. That I, came to me last night. I'm imagining him falling asleep at the wheel or something. He never gets a cramp. But he would, wouldn't he? After all that foie gras. Well, you never see him have a wee either. But I'm sure he does. <laughs> well, you can tell he doesn't drink enough fluid from the contents of that flask. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much. <laughs> You can edit that out. Yeah, I think we'll leave that in.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.